welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you're subscribed on your favourite platform. This week we're catching up with the Yorkshire Shepherdess. Amanda Rowan is best known for her writing, TV work and social media accounts, where she shares an unvarnished depiction of life on her farm in the Yorkshire Dales, with her nine children, husband Clive and 1,000 sheep. Amanda joined Jess Fredenberg just before Christmas from her living room to catch up and chat about her latest book, Celebrating the Seasons. As always with Amanda, though, there are lots of other things to talk about, including the logistics of cooking for 11 people every day, the life lesson she hopes her kids will learn from the farm, and how a chance encounter started her TV career. Hello, Amanda. Hi. Hello, how are you? So just one, it's just an average kind of morning. I would make lots of excuses for why this morning is different to any other. What have you yeah. what have you been doing? Why has it been so crazy? Well, for a start, it's like get the kids ready for school, which is a total bloody nightmare because last night they came back and just like threw everything everywhere. And it's kind of like the run up to Christmas. So we're like under a sea of parcels. And of course we're smitten as well because it's a, it's a half decent day here. The sun's shining. So what we're trying to do is get all the shoot back onto the hooves before Christmas because it makes our job a lot easier because everything's still in the pastures and the fields at the moment. So if we can turn them back up there, it's just easy life, but it requires about three days of head scratching and sorting out. So oh there you go. Yeah, well, your living room looks nice and Christmassy. So I've had to bottom it, honestly. I've I literally, I must be the, probably the only farmer's wife who actually pressure washes flags in the house. <laughs> People are like, oh, happy, I'm so clean. I'm like... I can't tell people. I cannot tell people this before. Before you know it, the headline will be that I'm like telling people to like pressure wash the inside of their houses and people will be getting electrocuted right, left and centre. Kind of crazy time of year, isn't it? So Well, it is. It is. And I mean, it's it, it's been difficult because of the weather. This last couple of weeks, it's been unseasonably bad. I mean, I'm looking out the window now, like the bit of the window that I can see out of because it's like got old dirty hand marks all over it. And um, there's like snow still that really icy frozen stuff. So it'll probably remain for the duration, I would imagine. It's cold, you know? I mean, I don't have to like trek up hills to find sheep in snow, but I would really <laughs> love some snow right now. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I tell you what, it kind of, it was, it was okay. It kind of looks pretty but when it comes to working, it took all, out all the electricity. And because we had everything in the fields, it was carnage. It took out all our means of communication how long were you without without power then? We were off six days. Six, six days. days. Oh, mm. God. One night we had champagne and fried eggs because it was all we had to eat. <laughs> yeah. But fried eggs and champagne, I mean, that sounds like most people's ideal. <laughs> ideal, yeah. Yeah, well, what it was, all it was was quite simply, after you've boiled the kettle for like 10 cups of tea for about the millionth time over the fire... There is a kind of a tea that isn't it that kind of tastes smoky. Is it laps lapsong souchong or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Our plain old Yorkshire tea tasted of that, right? What? How did you? Because there's there's you've got nine nine kids and there's two of you as well. So how I just don't get how on earth were you like able to cook and stuff? Sounds like a nightmare. Are you eating like peanut butter sandwiches for six days as well as the Friday? Yeah, I buy I buy peanut butter sandwiches like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like survival of the fittest. And I mean, I do, I do, everyone like makes a big hoo-ha, don't they, over like Christmas dinner. But like every day is bloody Christmas dinner here, right? Uh, you know, it, uh, 
we get by. And the whole ethos, I think, within farming and living rural is that is that you kind of do things a bit different. You rely heavily on the family and the children. It's not any kind of new thinking, is it? It's my busyness and maybe a touch of innate laziness that means that I say to the kids, right, what are you making for tea? They did, I had to go away and do a talk on Sunday. And I said, right, what's for tea? Um, and we'd, we'd butched a lamb. So I said, well, if I put the leg of lamb out and I stood it with garlic and put the rosemary in it, I'll put everything around it. I'll put the onions in. I will parboil the potatoes, take it away. And I got the pictures at tea time because they did lamb rose, rose potatoes, minted carrots, all the rest of it. There, look. There, look. See? Hang on. Hi, mum. Tea, tea was really good. So there. There they are. Oh, that's a pretty good plate. That's a good plate for you, showing me. I mean, that, I, would, I would pay good money for a lunch like that. <laughs> I'm just and looking at some of the things I've got on here. I've got yeah. dog whistles. Because I've I've been I've had a few trials with various people's different dogs, and it's like okay, so what's your right hand whistle? And they'll give me a whistle, and I'll be like, okay, tell you what, I'll just record it. I wonder how many people got dog whistles on their phone. Oh well, I mean, you think about. I mean, honestly, I was having this conversation the other day because because of course, if I type sheep on my phone, I get like. I don't even know how many hits. But of course, with, with farmers, it was the same. And I because I, I get about and I've been doing talks, I will meet, you know, farming such a broad church. So, you know, you will talk to someone and it's like, oh, I'm an onion farmer. And I'm like, go on, give us a look at your phone. There's lots of pictures of onions on there, always. And the same with the Turkey Growers Association. I was like, come on, give me some turkey pictures. And it's so funny because they're all, they're all looking on the phones and it just oh. isn't whatever you, you think. It's always, it's, always, it's always something kind of quite niche, you know what I mean? Right, here we go, sheep. 10,956 pictures of sheep on there. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, 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 quite, uh, that's quite impressive, Amanda. <laughs> Sounds a bit obsessive, doesn't it? So there you go. You probably oh, find there's more sheep it. on there than children, maybe. <laughs> okay, there we go. Oh god. So we wanted to talk about your book though. Oh, did they send you a copy? No. They sent me a PDF. Oh, you should get all demanding, Jazz. What happened to the getting a free dinner? But yeah, but I've had I've had a look online and um yeah, so your new book celebrating the seasons. It made it to number three in the Sunday Times bestseller list recently, didn't it? I'm okay with that, right? Because, you know, you get a bit competitive with these things. It's like, I knew Clarkson was bringing one out, and I've never watched his programme, and everyone was like, hey, you know, Amanda snubs Clarkson. No, I don't. I just haven't got time to watch TV. The feedback from all farmers that I've talked about is his programme's been great. So I'm okay with Diddly Squat being number one. I think my book's... I think it's going to be number... It's been at number eight. It's been here for five weeks. I'd have to have a look, but I think it was about 15,000 copies last week. That's impressive. How does that make you feel? Strange, really, because it feels like it happens to someone else somewhere yeah. else, right? Because because the point mm. is, there's still shit to shovel, isn't there? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. still, it doesn't... Yeah, does it change your life? Of course it kind of does, because it makes you insanely busier, because you, you're kind of like, you're across... I'm sort of always micromanaging ish well I think I am I like to think I am I'm like doing this doing this doing this usually doing them all kind of like substandard half badly running about trying to be efficient 
because I've got so much on. But the the book thing, that feels like it happens somewhere else to somebody else, really. It's a diversification. It's a farm diversification. So that's it. But no, I mean, yeah, I'm busy. But there's so much potential within what we have here that I'm kind of, I have this sort of sense of determination. I've, I, if an opportunity comes along, I've got to take it. It kind of frustrates me that before the pandemic, all those years ago, when life was normal, you know, there was this kind of, you know, there was the beginnings of the sort of anti-farmer, anti-rural, anti, all the rest of it is still going on, right? But it was like, come on guys, you know, you farmers, we, you know, we're, we're, we're global now. We don't really need you. We're looking at what looks pretty, the environment, all the rest of it. You need to diversify. You need to think of something else to do. Farming, right? So that becomes sort of like the thing. Every farmer needs to think of how to diversify. For some farmers, diversification is a good thing and it's a real possibility. But not everybody lives in the beautiful chocolate box farmhouse in a gorgeous surroundings. There are people who live in farms that, that, that don't lend themselves to that. There are people who live on farms that they cannot open a farm shop. They haven't got the means to open a farm shop. They can't do livery, they can't do dog walk. You know, they're farmers, right? And not surprisingly, they're really good at farming because that's what they do. So there's this huge thing whereby it's like, stop farming guys, start thinking of other things to do. Then we have the pandemic. And all of a sudden, all the things that they were telling us to rely on, tourists, people coming into your farm shop, all of a sudden that goes completely to the wall. And guess what? Everyone goes into the supermarket and goes, food, there's no food. I paid £6.30 for a floret of broccoli during the pandemic. Did you? Oh, honestly, I was rinsed, wasn't I? Because they just, you couldn't get, the shelf, did you ever go, the shelves were just cleared. Yeah, and what was it cleared of? It weren't soya and endamame beans, whatever they are, was it? Sausages, burgers, chicken, you know. And then all of a sudden it's like, farmers, come on, get your shit together. You need to start farming. We need food. Come on. So the idea is to have your fingers in lots of different pies. A bit of this, a bit of that. And then it's kind of like your safety. So, so therefore, that's all it is. It means that, of course, you're, you're busy, but whether it's looking after tourists, making cups of tea, whether it's writing books, whether it's farming, whether all those things, if you put them all together, you're future-proofing. Oh, that's such a good word, future-proofing. No, no, definitely. So, what, so tell, us, tell us about the book a bit more, though. What was the, the thinking behind it? Because it is a lovely kind of combination of all your photos and a lot of photos of of the, the children out really looking like they're having a great time on the farm, to be honest, like a really gorgeous, gorgeous, like outdoor life. Incongruous pictures of kids in tutus with Miss Maxwell is on the wrong yeah. feet. Well, that was all I'd ever put on my social media. And that was yeah. all I used to take with me when I was doing presentations and bits and pieces. And that was what people were always saying. Oh, you know, you should put together a book of photographs. And I kept, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, a book like that is quite expensive to put together because obviously the print and visuals and all the rest of it. But of course, um, I was given the opportunity. I was asked whether I'd be interested in, in doing it. And I thought, well, why not? Hey, I've got the material. I've got 100,000 pictures sitting there in my iCloud or whatever. So therefore, the material's already there. 
So that was the thing people would say. We, we love the pictures. We love to see what's going on on the farm. We love to see the kids and the animals and the seasons. So that was easy. That was a no-brainer. And the other question that people would always say was the same one as you. How the hell do you cook for everybody? So I thought to myself, right, okay, let's go into that naked old pink recipe book where we scribble things and tear things out of magazines. Put it all in, have a look in there and see what we can put together and just tie it in with going through the seasons. So it was really simple format. Really, really mm. simple. But, you know, sometimes I, I, you can overthink things, you know? The recipes yeah. had to be incredibly, incredibly forgiving. That was the thing. That was the most difficult thing, trying to select recipes. You know, I had people down in London saying, right, we've got a home economist on the line. How much of this do you put in? I'm like, I ain't got a bloody clue. Whatever's in the bottom of the fridge, use it up. Work it out. And whatever you do, put it in the oven, leave it for an hour. But if you leave it for two hours because you ended up carving a cow or something, it'll be absolutely fine because... That's the nature of it. We can't do exact, not really. Yeah, <laughs> it, life isn't quite exact, is it? So um, no, and I like you. You've got like a really nice mix, I think, of um, of the more sort of traditional, you know, British or English uh, recipes, but then others that are a bit more from around the world. So you've got things like you know Yorkshire curd tart, Moroccan lamb tagine. Oh, I love the tagine. Do you know I've got a husband who says I hate garlic and I hate spicy things. You can picture him saying this, can't you? Can't stand garlic. Right, okay. But strangely enough, when you chuck all those spices in and you set that whole thing off, the smell that comes is just like, it'll be like, oh, that's, it tastes great. The smell goes round the farmyard, which in a way gives me one less job to do because they can smell it, so they do appear. You know, it's, usually that's what tends to happen with the kids. They will turn up at meal times, but especially if they can smell that one. And like I say, cook it on the top, cook it in the oven, you know, 10 minutes prep, then walk away. That'll do. Sometimes simple things done really well is the key. I mean, living where we do here, obviously, any kind of recipe that says avocado oil, lemongrass, and nigui, whatever it is, um, it's not happening, is it? Because I'm not going to go bloody 27 miles to Tesco to, to go and get this weird ingredient that I'm never going to use the rest of it. So... So it's kind of like having your staples. You go into the dairy, you've got your staples, you look at it, you use kind of what you've got. But if you're going to, I'm not for one minute sort of saying, hey, let's live like peasants and boil meat and things like that and eat things that are grey. Oh, don't know. <laughs> I mean, my kids, it's only the day because I love getting those, sprout, those sticks of sprouts. It's a thing. I love those sticks. So it can snap them all off. And, and and they're like, oh, we like sprouts. And most of the kids at school don't like sprouts. And I'm like, well, that's because you're cooking them to death till they're slimy disgusting. Yeah. If, you, if you keep them bright green and vibrant and lovely. And I said, and you can even add other things. You can add some bacon. You can add some sesame seeds, some butter. Come on. I'll, you know, you can do things. We've pickled some sprouts. It doesn't have to be boring, it doesn't have to be dull, but you also have to be mindful of the cost, right? I can't, you know, I ain't gonna go and buy a load of langoustines, I'm out to feed on these guys, because anything that requires, you know, a lot of waste and not a lot of actual food, you know, to sustain, that's not happening. And I have to be aware that, that for a lot of people, the cost of food is a massive issue. No, it, it it definitely is, and in, increasingly so. I think my favourite picture in the book actually is your larder. 
<laughs> out of all the pictures. I actually love it. I know, I actually love that picture because it, it's like such an insight, isn't it, into into that kind of um, of cooking. And it's, it's a huge, great big, you know, huge like um, bag of potatoes, I think, and a pack of something like 16 huge boxes of tea and, and like all these jars and everything. In the corner, there's a great big cast iron pot. It's called a goose pot and it will fit in that oven there. Oh. So I can leave it, I can leave it um, cooking in there. So, but what the kids haven't sussed out is that is also where I hide the chocolate because it's got a massive, oh. really heavy lid. So nobody ever goes in there. So if I put the chocolate in there, they don't know it's there. Literally nobody knows. Nobody but you knows where the chocolate is. No, well, I, oh. I, I very carefully have to take the lid off so they can't hear it. <laughs> so sneaky. Exactly, exactly. So you know, you just have yeah. to do things a bit, a, 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 a bit, a bit differently. Because I mean, like I say, you just, um, you know, through the summer, you're out and about, and you've got more opportunity to get things. But but through the winter time, you have to keep it real. It's all right writing some sort of chefy book about foraging, which is okay for someone who's got fields, right? But you know, you it's 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 um. It's not realistic to tell people that they should be picking the dog, the, the salad leaves, you know, out when they're walking the dog at the side of the grass verge next to the A39 or something or other where all the dogs have cocked the leg. You know what I mean? And all saying, you know, why not think about, you know, foraging for mushrooms? Why not? So in a way, it's kind of like saying, well, you know what, maybe that food story isn't necessarily something that you've you 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 foraged yourself but why not try and find out where it has come from and you, we have got the ability to do that now with the labeling system you know you need to be looking at labels and seeing where stuff's coming from because you know the thing is with the, my kids particularly to actually hand over the reins and say can you cook can you put a meal on the table if there is some element of it that they feel sort of is relevant to them it gives them more enthusiasm. Do you think your um, Do you think your attitude to food has changed since you've become a farmer? Because you grew up in Huddersfield, didn't you? Without any kind of farming background, do you think you Do you think you're more aware of the seasons and you appreciate food in a different way? Kid of the seventies grew up on crispy pancakes, Findus, um, and Vesta. Those curries in a black box that I didn't think even existed, but apparently Raven Raven had some in a student accommodation the other week, so they're still on the go. Mini cocktail sausages, um, half grapefruits, hedgehogs with with mini sausages and bits of cheddar on. That was that was that was my grown and those pizzas that you put under the grill. Didn't do me any harm. I'm still here, aren't I? I survived it, but. Coming to live in a countryside, you have to do things a bit differently, definitely. And, you know, when you have a husband that presents you with half a bullock as some kind of gift, you have to learn very quickly how to cook. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's kind of like, okay, right, okay. This is like a baptism of fire. You don't realise, I suppose, the skill that goes into butchery. It's one of those things that you just accept, isn't it? You look, you go, oh, lamb chops. Yeah, rack of lamb, whatever. Mm. You try cutting something up with yourself like that. Oh, Jesus. I mean, there was like splinters of bone in everything. That's that's where you start. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't going to go to chefy school, was I? You learn within the sort of um, constraints of where you are and what you do. You learn what fits. 
So, you know, that was something that, uh, that I had to learn very quickly. One of the things I'm sure, like, like you just said, I'm sure you get asked a gazillion times, uh, you know, a year, how do you do all this with, with the, the kids, like nine kids, you've got like a thousand sheep, you're writing books, you're doing social media, you're doing TV shows, speaking, all that kind of thing. But one thing I'm quite interested in is, um, how you motivate yourself because I think like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this just before Christmas, but um, I think this is a kind of funny time of year for a lot of people. Um, but I think like, you know, we're, we're also at the point where we're going into the new year um, and hopefully it's going to be a bit better than the last two years, especially. It isn't looking so great at the moment. It, I guess it depends on if you're looking, if you're a cup half full or a cup half empty kind of person. Right. How do I do it? I'll lower the standards whenever I can. I I really look at what's important, right? What is important? If I turn that round, there's a load of washing there. Yeah, washing on the windowsill. Big pile. It might get put away. It might not get put away. It's definitely not going to get ironed because I don't own them. I don't care. There's not much in the way of bits on the floor. The fire's smoldering. In other words... If the kids are happy and everything's just going along and stuff's getting done, then that'll do, right? I ain't looking for, like, perfect... I mean, every year, sort of, you know, for Christmas and all the rest of it, you kind of have this idea that you want to have the Christmas out of the next catalogue, the colour-coded Christmas decorations and all that, and you're going to dress the table like this. But every year, it looks like Santa has spewed on the tree, Okay. Living somewhere here where you're more, I suppose, isolated actually can give you a bit more freedom because you can do things your way. Yeah. I'm not competing with somebody over there as to when I put my Christmas lights up. I'm not competing with anybody. If you come here, you come here because you want to come here. People are very, are very sort of funny about Christmas. It's kind of like, oh, it's family time, personal, can't. Should be the opposite, shouldn't it? Christmas is about is about sort of welcoming and people and sort of being open and it's funny how things have changed, isn't it? Can get a bit skewed, can't it? Definitely, mm. definitely, definitely uh, a bit. I wasn't actually, but go on. <laughs> Maybe that makes me. I don't know what that makes me. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I have so far, this is where we're at so far. Miles last week, he was like, oh, my feet are all wet because I've got holes in my wellies. I was like, come on, let's get you some wellies. So I went and bought him some wellies at the agricultural supply and I said, right, okay, you're going to wear them now, but that is your Christmas present. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Anyway, I had to go and do a book signing over at York um, last Saturday and I said to the kids, do you want to come with me? Cunningly, Ravens in student accommodation. So it was kind of like, um, it meant that I could make her look after them. So they spent the day in York going around the Christmas fair and all the rest of it. And when I went to pick them up after I'd done my book signing, I said, so what did you see in York that you really liked and really wanted? And they went, we saw a three-legged terrier. It was brilliant. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I said, so what did you get? And they went, there was nothing we wanted. Aww. So there you go. I'm holding out. I'm gonna, I, that sounds so bad, but I am not. 
I'm not going to waver. They'll have, they'll have little bits and pieces, chocolate and all the rest of it. But I swear to God, that is them. You can ask them. It's not, I mean, if they were here now, you'd be quite welcome to talk to them about it and delve as deeply as you are. This isn't just me saying it. They have everything that they want and need. And when I take them Christmas shopping and Violet comes out of Claire's accessories with nothing, and I said, what happened? And she said, well, I saw a pair of earrings that I really liked and I got to the till and then I decided that I didn't really like them and I didn't want them and I put them back. Oh, bless her. You see what I mean? They have, they have everything they want and when they need something or they want something, I'm lucky enough that I can, I can usually sort it. People think that that one day can kind of sort of, I don't know, can make or break, but it, is, it, it isn't and it can't. And for a lot of people, they will still be paying for that the following Christmas. But you see, we're fortunate. I mean, when, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. The fact of the matter is, the kids. I'm sorting out getting the farrier here. And I said to Raven, I said I'm gonna get the farrier here and get the get the horses started, so you can head off riding. So they've got that option, and that's not an option for for other kids. For a lot of people, that would that would be an amazing experience. So, but so my idea is to try. Try and be true to yourself. Don't. Try. Try not to look over your shoulder too much at what everybody else is doing. And that is the most, that is the best thing about living somewhere like we do. If it wasn't for living here, for this kind of life, none of the opportunities, none of the things that I've been able to do would ever have happened. Because living somewhere like this kind of makes you feel... Um, not invincible, I don't mean that. Kind of makes you feel... Um, it gives you strength, right? Because you have yeah. to be adaptable. And it gives you independence. And that's what I want to give to my kids. I'm not... I'm not I don't, I've never billed myself as perfect parent, neither me nor Clive. But what it is, is the fact that you're part of a big family, the fact that you've got a lot going on, means you have to do stuff for yourself. Yeah, I'm there to oversee things. I'm there to pick up the pieces when things go slightly awry, all the rest of it. But basically, those kids, the best lesson they can take away from a life here is the ability to be able to do things, to be able to turn the hand to things. You know, living somewhere like this, you have to be able to adapt, you know, no electricity, how are you going to get around there? You know, no water. How are you going to sort out what's going on with the water system? It's kind of like your side kind of at the sharp end. And if you can take that to any place, instead of it, instead of being trapped here, it gives you more of a, more of a, I suppose the, the wildness of the place kind of rubs off on you. It definitely shapes your character. No, I bet. I bet. Do you, do you see that with, um, I mean, you said like Raven's now at, at university, you know, does she feel, uh, do you think she feels like a bit more independent sometimes than some of her, some of her peers? Oh my God, yeah. I want them to head off and go and do things. I want them to go see other places because I feel like what you get from living here and being on the farm is the best lessons you can get, that you can take wherever you go. You can transpose it to whatever you're doing. It's like Ruben with his engineering and mechanicing. You know, he has to make things work. There's no 
can't do it. Hang on a minute. I'm going to have to wait until office hours and ring up somebody for the electrical coat to make it. But you need to go with a hammer and a piece of wood, a bit of baler twine, some WD-40 and somehow make it work. Those are the best because that's what they need all over the world. The same with Raven. You know, she's doing her biomedicine and she's in her third year and she's talking about doing a postgraduate to go into something where you're more hands-on with 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 medicine but the bottom line is that being a farmer and living this life you kind of you know she will walk into um a, like where they're doing post-mortems and bits and pieces and she's like yeah come on i've been doing this since i've been you know since i've been this high we've been doing post-mortems on lambs since i was this i mean she used to love skinning the lambs and looking inside it sounds really morbid she could even become someone like in medicine or a serial killer perhaps you know what i mean <laughs> but but you, but you know what i mean those those lessons you take with you whatever you're going to do so it's not it it, it it's the exact opposite it's it, living here doesn't mean you're always going to live here and you're always going to sort of we're like a commune like you're just a farmer and that's how it always is there's far more to it than that it's kind of like why can't challenge yourself See what you can do. I mean, why not see? I mean, I'm someone who got an E in English at GCSE, right? An E in English at GCSE level. And this is my fifth book in the bestsellers now. Why? Because I found Tiny. something that I was passionate about, something that I loved, and something that, that I don't know, got me here, right? So therefore, if every kid could find that thing, because it's different for different people, and why not? It's not always the same thing. You know, Raven Raven likes her academic work. She loved being at school. She loves being at university. You know, she's got reams and reams of paper. Ruben hated it. Oh my God, he hated it. Couldn't stand it. But he has that same amount of intelligence and passion for what he does, which is land-based. And you see, for the kids like Ruben, he's fortunate because he lives here. He had to get on the school bus and go nearly 30 miles to school. He had no opportunity to skive, get into trouble and all the rest of it. And because he's here, he's got a tool shed, he's got space, he can drive cars around the field, he can do all that. What if you're a kid on an estate in the middle of Manchester and you get to 14 year old and you ain't got, you haven't got the outdoors, you haven't got a tool shed, you haven't got that in front of you what are you going to do you're going to get into trouble you're going to get into mischief and you know it's kind of like frowned upon isn't it it's like hang on a minute the only route to success is you need to go to university you need to get the paperwork that's how you succeed i'm not entirely sure that that is a thing because as it stands at this very moment in time with with where we're at people are crying out for people who it sounds terrible to say low skill because it's not true but, you know, butchers, drivers, electricians, plumbers, plasterers, all the rest of it. That kind of thing. If you can do that sort of thing, then, then and, and it's something that you want to do and you're passionate about, then you'll go far, won't you? You've obviously made that transition as well, haven't you, from city life to, to country life like this. And it must have been a real baptism of fire at the beginning, certainly. Do you do you kind of look around at some points, Amanda? Maybe maybe you're you're up a, a hill, or I don't know. You're you're doing something with some sheep. Do you ever kind of look around and have that moment where you're like, 
oh, how did this happen? This is my life? Like, what? All the time. And it, it's the other way around as well, though, you see. It's not just that, uh, not, it's not just that part. Put it this way, like two weeks ago, I'm trying, I'm trying to get down to where the other horse is in the fields and the snowdrifts are like up here. I've got these pictures and I'm like trying to take a picture and the snow is above my head. I've got about, honestly, I'm like Michelin woman. I've got that many layers of clothes on. And I'm like, oh, how did this even happen? How did this escalate to this? How, you know, <laughs> right? So you do that and you get through that. And then the next thing, I'm at Cheltenham Literature Festival and I'm sitting next to Joan Collins and Ruby Wax. No. Oh my, no, that is a real moment of like, what is my life? <laughs> That's so funny. The thing is, the more you do it, the more you realise everyone's in the same boat. Everybody is literally just, you know, just doing their best and sort of like winging it basically which is what we're all doing. So who says that you don't fit? You know, people, you know, will, will, will sort of pigeonhole you and stereotype you and say, you're that, you're there, you're that, you're there, you're that. Mm -mm. No, if you're going to get on, if you're going to do things, then you have to, like I say, do a bit of this and a bit of that. What would you say to to other young people, particularly if, if there's anyone listening who's not from a farming background, and particularly if they're female as well, you know, and they're thinking, oh, just drawn to something more in nature, and perhaps they perhaps they don't have the confidence to to do that. They have to. I thought things had changed for the better, right? I feel like quite an oldie now, you know. I'm talking about being at school. Mm. 30 years ago, oh God. And I went to do a talk over at Sowood. It was down near my old school. Um, and I talked to a lass there, and she was about 19. And I was chatting with her, and I said, oh, so what do you do then? She said, oh, I'm at Secretarial College. I said, oh. She said, yeah, I hate it. Oh, no. I know. I said, well, what are you doing there? She said, well, it, it was what was suggested to me. She said, because I love horses. And I want to be a farrier. She said, but my careers advisor said that I couldn't be a farrier because I'm female. No, that's this stuff still happening? Oh, my God, that's shocking. Louise, my farrier, who's coming out next week, I said, Louise, I said, she's my farrier. I said, she shod all my horses, even when she was a month off having her third baby. I said, and on a weekend, she goes down to Lambourne and she shoes horses because she has a way with her, she puts racing plates on horses that are as skitty as old, and she has a way with them that she can get shoes on them that the blokes can't. Oh, my God. But, you know, there you go. I mean, it is hard. You do have to push yourself. It's that kind of thing. There's a lot of people with a lot of little bits of information. And if you really want to know about something, you have to go far deeper, far deeper, deeper into it. So... You know, what what do you think you'd be doing if you if you weren't a shepherdess? What's your what's the Amanda doing? What's Amanda doing in her parallel life where she wasn't a shepherdess? I did think about going to the army and being a nun. I went to a place called Hazelwood Castle, and it was near York. I was taken there as a child, and I don't know why or what even we were doing there, but I always remember looking across into these like gardens, and there was all these nuns. 
and they were they were tending their vegetable patches and stuff like that and it just seemed so serene and so so maybe it was kind of like the agriculture maybe it was kind of like that they were digging i'm interested to know what what do you always i have a good idea what do you always get asked in interviews like this and also what do you wish someone asked you more of what are there any questions where you go oh not that bloody one again well, what's a typical day? Oh my mm. God! If anyone asked me that again, because there isn't such a thing. Every day is different, and that's the joy of it. It also can be the frustration. It means that any kind of plans go totally and utterly out the window. But um, when it comes to a question, I wish people would ask me. I don't know what that was. I think I've been asked absolutely everything, really. Have you any weird ones, particularly odd or impertinent questions? Who would you choose to be your celebrity parents? Oh, celebrity parent. God, what did you say? That is the only question I haven't been able to answer. Because I thought it was so bloody stupid. I thought to myself, if you've really <laughs> thought that that is a question that is in any way relevant to anything. I mean, I'm all for a bit of fun and all the rest of it. But it was just such a random one that it just, it just totally blew my mind. I think I've been asked everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a big believer in, you know, if you've got something to say, you really should, you really should say it, find your voice and say it. Cause, you know, when you talk about youngsters coming into farming or women wanting to go into ag, I've discovered over the years that literally it is communication skills that get you places. And that can be really, really difficult but if you can, if you can sort of, I don't know, reach out and ask. When I was, when I was, you know, young, there was no such thing as social media. You couldn't ask a question. You either had to revert to a book or asking somebody in person. And I was really fortunate that the people that I met along the way could see that I was passionate. I used to hang about at the auction mart. I used to actually get on my bicycle, right? I had a bicycle and I had an all-in-one Lycra bicycle suit and it said Bridget Nielsen down the side of it okay right <laughs> I went down it was really popular at the auction mart right over <laughs> used to cycle down to the auction mart eventually I did change my clothing bought myself some some jodhpurs instead because I began to feel like I did stand out a bit just a bit yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I went there and I talked to people and I got some work experience and I got to go places and I got to learn stuff and I got to learn stuff because I was genuinely interested and I wanted to know. It takes a bit of bravery to do that. Nowadays, you can maybe ask more questions via social media, you know, so maybe that's maybe that's a, a, a bit of a plus point. But, you know, if I hadn't have been given those opportunities, then uh, I wouldn't have been here. You know, I worked all over Cumbria. I was contract shepherding. I was working on farms that... Yeah, you know, predominantly an older generation. I guess I came into farming at, at a good time, you know, because there was the work there at certain times, clipping time, lambing time, dipping time, selling meal gimmers, all the rest of it. People, extra pairs of hands were needed. And I was willing, enthusiastic, loved it, and I got the work. So anybody who who was prepared to look past the fact that that I was, I was obviously female and that I obviously wasn't from farming stock and all the rest of it. At the end of the day, it didn't matter to them. I found my diary the other day from 
1994 it said mm. on the front of it. And I looked through it and it was saying all the places that I was going, foot trimming and doing this and PD testing and all kinds of stuff. It just brought back all those memories and I thought about all those people who had welcomed me. I was over at Mike Folders and Mike Brunskills and at Nunny Call. I was going all these places and just doing a few days a week. And I was welcomed absolutely wholeheartedly because because I wanted to do it and I was interested. And I can't for one minute, I know a lot of people might say they've experienced sexism or anything, but I've got to say that I, I, I haven't. Well, there you go. Well, that's good. That's good to know. And I think, like you say, it's people who are willing to, we all need people who are willing to, you know, like keep open the door to us or, yes. um, and certainly not, you know, pull the, the drawbridge up behind them kind of thing. Um, but give it, giving those opportunities once you're in a position to give it is really important. I think. Yeah, I think if you come from that background, you're always mindful of it. This whole journey just began with making cups of tea for people, which was the original diversification that we're still doing. Making cups of tea for people and having a short conversation, answering the questions that people would want to know. What are you doing here? What's going on with the sheep? Tell us about hill farming, blah, blah, blah. So that was the beginning of everything else, really, that conversation. Roughly about 16,000 walkers walk through the farm every year. So these walkers were coming through and they would sit down, I would make them a cup of tea, make them a scone, they'd sit down outside on the picnic benches and they'd ask questions, right? Then one day, one of the people who comes along asks a question and it turns out that he's actually a researcher for a TV programme called The Dales. That's where it all began. So you see that, when I'm talking about communication, it was that conversation. So in a roundabout way, I feel like the whole situation has transposed onto us and our shoulders because now people are saying to me, okay, how does this work? And instead of being sneery and saying, you idiot, do you not know that this is how it works? Do you not know anything? I mean, I have people say all kinds of things like, um, are there different sorts of sheep? Yes, there's different sorts of sheep. Um, you know, they don't know when things lamb, they don't know about... The people who don't know that something has to, in order to lactate, has to have a pregnancy, all kinds of things. And you can either go, oh, you idiot, how did you not know that? Or I can consciously go back 30-odd years and think, that was me. Have you got any plans for next year? What's next year looking like for you? I don't know. I don't know. I think it'll probably go like this. Um, feed sheep, feed cows feed things, write things, stress about things. I don't know. My future is today, tomorrow, that'll do. If anything I've learned about this pandemic and all the rest of it, it's the <laughs> don't sit and rest on your laurels. Do not put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Seize the moment, seize the opportunity very funny strange times so we take comfort in the fact that that we're here and we're doing what's always been done here but the other thing that you take into consideration is that sort of it's kind of precious as well you know life is precious and that you only get one shot at it so you have to go for it whatever that is whether that's your dream of 
working in agriculture, whether that's your dream of writing, whether that's your dream of doing TV, whatever it is, whatever it is, you've got to, <laughs> you really have got to sort of seize, seize the day, seize the moment. I'm going to go seize the sheep in a minute because someone will be playing absolute hell with me because I'm not out there. Thank you to Amanda and to Jez. Well, that's it for this week and for this year on Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back in 2022 with more of the latest farming news and interviews. But until then, from all the team here at Farmers Guardian, thank you very much for tuning in to the podcast in 2021. We hope you stay safe and well and have a happy new year. <laughs>